Well, again, uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Greg, as I said before, and uh, it, is, it really is a pleasure to be able to be here with you all as we uh, gather together to both uh, seek and engage with God. Uh, I do want to welcome anyone who's watching via the live stream or later on in the week in the podcast. Uh, thank you for finding ways to engage with us uh, and, and moving in new ways that God is creating for people to gather together and be present in, in new ways. And so uh, thank you for, for finding those. Um, uh, would you please join me as I pray? God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your uh, presence in our lives. Uh, I pray that you would stir in us uh, uh, an openness to, to hear from you, uh, an openness to be invited and, and moved into new, new spaces and new directions and, uh, and new things, and, and pray that as we do that, we would find you in those places, um, and that you, Holy Spirit, would come and, and help that to happen as we, as we engage with you this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are starting a new sermon series this morning entitled, You've Heard It Said. And it's really just the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus gave. And if you remember, we've spent the previous nine weeks in kind of the beginning section of this sermon, part of which is called the Beatitudes. It's kind of the first eight weeks of that where we discover Jesus announcing this blessing of God to many people because of his arrival. And so as Jesus is present, so the kingdom of God is present. And what Jesus has been announcing is that uh, this is the way the kingdom of God works, and it does so based on my presence here. And so he announces this blessing, which is, uh, again, it's the reality of God's presence. It's God's being with someone, and that is equal to God's blessing. And the idea that God is for you or God is on your side. And Jesus said that the blessing belongs to certain people, the poor in spirit, those who mourn the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And when we read through that list and as we went through that sermon series, there are some of those that sound good. We want to be merciful and we want people to be merciful to us and being pure in heart, that sounds wonderful. Peacemakers, we get that. But at the same time, we don't really want to mourn We don't want to be poor in spirit. We don't want to be persecuted. And so what we have here is not so much a list of qualities or sort of a a checkoff list that we're supposed to try to attain all these things, but more this, again, this announcement that don't be surprised to encounter people of all these kinds of spaces present in the kingdom of God. And it's this announcement that the, the blessing of God falls really widely And part of that is really significant because gathered around Jesus in this moment are people who fall under all these and probably more kind of categories, more sort of uh, moments in their life where they would identify themselves as poor in spirit, meek, I'm mourning, etc., etc. And this crowd not only is diverse in those ways, but it's an ethnically diverse crowd. You have groups of people there who not only, I would say, don't like each other, but are, are opposed against one another. We have economically diverse people, people just from different neighborhoods. It's a very diverse group. And so Jesus is making this announcement to this group. God's blessing falls widely. And then last week, Dan talked to us about being salt and light and that Jesus had just announced to this diverse group of people who are receiving God's blessing, the ones whose side God was on, these are the ones 
that are the salt and light of the world. And then we're not to lose our saltiness by moving away from God and losing our ability to draw out the best in people and reveal the good that is in the world. And then after that, Jesus says this thing that is fairly confusing, and Dan identified that, but then did a great job of dealing with it, because it seems that up to this point, Jesus has been really freeing in his announcement. Here are all the people who are blessed. Here are the people who are inviting to be salt and light, the ones who bring out the true flavor in the world and the goodness. And it's all these people that we might not expect to be on this list. So it feels really cool, and it's like really relieving. And then he says this line that says, and that our righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And this feels a little bit counter to what Jesus has previously been saying, just because it, there's a shift in tone, there's a shift in the way it sounds. And it's kind of like uh, my family is reading this uh, series of books together, and the first book in the series, excuse me, is called The Mysterious Benedict Society. Some of you may have read this before, and I'm not going to reveal a lot about it, but the main characters end up in this uh, place, and it's either called Live or Live. I haven't decided which one yet. Uh, that's always confusing to me, but it's an acronym that stands for the Learning Institute of the Very Enlightened, uh, and while they're there, they are taught some of the rules of the institute, and there are things like this. One, you can wear whatever you want just so long as you have on trousers, shoes, and a shirt. You can bathe as often as you like or not at all, provided that you're clean in class every day. You can eat whatever and whenever you want, so long as it's during meal hours in the cafeteria. You're allowed to keep the lights on in your rooms as late as you wish until 10 o'clock each night. And you can go wherever you want around the Institute, so long as you keep to the paths and the yellow tiled corridors. And so this, this shift, this idea that there's all this freedom and this blessing is cast really wide and it's inviting and bringing people in. And oh yeah, there's this thing, those people who are the experts in, in sort of living righteously and, and knowing the law and in figuring out ways to live it out, your righteousness has to, surpass, has to surpass those. And so it feels a little bit weird. And that's gonna be kind of where we enter into this, uh, into this section today where Jesus is gonna begin explaining what it looks like to live a life that, that surpasses I would say, the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But he's going to do it in a little bit different way. He's going to have these series of statements that start off with the phrase, you've heard it said, or something along those lines, depending on which uh, version of the Bible you're looking at. Uh, And then what he's going to do is he's going to deconstruct that belief. He's going to sort of deconstruct, like, you've heard it said this, Eh, but here's what really is going on there. I'm going to take that a step further to reveal something deeper uh, than, than just a rule to follow. Uh, And so if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Matthew 5, and I'm going to be reading verses 21 through 26, but if you don't have your Bible, that's fine. We have uh, the verses will be up on the screen behind me. So this is Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it is said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way 
or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. In my notes, the next thing says, oh, snap. Uh, because this passage actually undoes a lot. It is meant to challenge you get at some of the deepest realities of the human heart, and, and that's what Jesus is saying. And these rules, these things, they're not just rules, but there's something behind them. There's a heart behind them, and I think what we find is that Jesus is going to reveal the very heart of God as he preaches these. We've shifted from this sort of lyrical, poetic style of the Beatitudes and this honoring invitation to be salt and light into a direct movement of great clarity into what it means to not only to live the Christian life, but why most of us, if not all of us, aren't very good at it. It's the condition of our hearts that is being addressed. And Jesus starts with the law and what the teacher of the law and Pharisees would hold to. You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And this goes all the way back into the Old Testament, right? It's part of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. And so the people there who are hearing this would go, yeah, okay, I'm, I, that's great. And most of us would say, yep, we get that. Because most of us don't feel like we fall under that category. Jesus continues on, though. He starts saying some things about anger about holding on to anger and, and, and how we do that. And so it, it, I instantly start asking some questions of myself. Have I ever held on to anger? Yep. Have I ever been angry with a fellow human being? Yes. Have I ever been angry with a fellow Christian? Oh, yes. And have I ever called someone a fool? Oh, yeah, way worse. So according to Jesus, I'm subject to judgment. I'm answerable to the court and I'm in danger of the fire of hell. This just escalated so quickly. Dan Allender, uh, from the Seattle School of uh, Theology and Psychology, says this, and, I, and I'm going to prep you. This is an aggressive uh, phrase. It's, a, it's an aggressive quote, but most of the things by Dan Allender are. But this is what he says in a talk about this. When you're angry, the name that is accurate for you, is, that should say murderer. The nature of what Jesus is saying about anyone in this room is that when you sin, and all sin reflects to anger and lust, that Jesus has a name for that. You are a killer and a whore. <sighs> Welcome to One Life Community Church. <laughs> right? But Jesus goes after this notion. We can earn God's delight. We can earn God's blessing if we maintain these rules. Because most of us can be faithful and not commit murder, and that somehow we can presume that our lives are righteous in doing that. But Jesus here creates a context of what is true about the nature of our hearts. When we're angry and we stand against another person, and we've turned that hurt that we feel in our anger into a judgment, where we proclaim about another one that they are this word, racha which means idiot or fool. But in, 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 for us, we use those words a little bit differently. We could easily say, oh, that person's being an idiot, right? And we don't mean necessarily what this does. Maybe we do, but lots of times we don't. What this, a better translation for this is low life or good for nothing, right? And, and those phrases have a very different a connotation to them. And so when we start saying things like that and our anger turns us to a place of cursing and that curse turns into judgment, we start saying things like, 
You are a low life. You're no good. Or you're good for nothing. You'll never be a good husband. You'll never be a good wife. Never be a good parent. You'll never be the right son or daughter. You'll never be enough. You will never be fill in the blank. A side note on all this. Sometimes we're not hearing those words from others. Sometimes those are words that we ascribe to ourselves. And I just want you to know, if you hear those words from any source, whether it's others or yourself, they're just not true. God delights in you, and his blessing is with you. He is on your side, waiting to bring freedom from curses that say you will never be whatever it is, never be loved, never be whole. Moving back. When we are the ones saying these things, though, what we do is we become an assessor. We stand back and we say about their heart, they will never be other than what they are now. And that what they are is not okay. That there's no hope for them. This is when we give up on somebody. And we do this quite a bit in our families, workplace, school, driving down the road. I was reading this book about leadership, and the author told this story about a friend of theirs who had a son who was 17, and, and the 17-year-old was described as being rebellious, and, and the things they described as being rebellious I thought were normal for 17-year-olds, things like sleeping in, uh, being late, not doing their laundry, or you know, not being excited about doing chores, which I was like, okay, well, that was me normally at 17, uh, but, uh, and, and the parent was really frustrated with this. And, uh, and, and the son asked if they could borrow the car. Uh, and the parent said, sure, but you've got to be home by 10. And that was an early curfew for this, for this kid. And, uh, and, and they did it intentionally and, 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 and kind of said, you know, I did it because I kind of wanted, wanted to make it cha- a challenge for them. I wanted them to have to work to earn that. And so they did. While they were out, uh, the, the, the kid was out driving around. The parent found themselves saying things like, I don't know if that was a good decision. I don't, they're not consistently able to do this. I, I should not, and not even I should have given them a more lenient curfew, but like, I shouldn't have done that. They're not trustworthy, all these, all these kinds of things. At 9.58, the son pulled into the garage, opened the, the door that connects the, the garage to the house at 9.59, dropped the keys on the counter at like 9.59 and 58 seconds. And the parent found, uh, and, and the kid probably did it in a, in a way that was a little bit like, I did it. Gotcha. Right? Maybe that was in there. I don't know. I just know myself. Might have been present when I was that age. Uh, but the parent, what they said was, well, that was cutting it close. <laughs> right? Because... It, well, because it was true, right? It was cutting it close. But... This parent had kind of given up on them being able to succeed. And they weren't very happy that they had actually accomplished the task. Past times of being late and being irresponsible were in this person's heart. And what happens is when you pass judgment on a person and declare them something, when they aren't that, it makes you wrong. It shows that you did not judge correctly. And we don't like that. We don't like being wrong, especially in... uh, Things where we're trying to, to, to sort of have an inside scoop on who someone is. And so, uh, in saying it this way, wow, 
that was cutting it close. They found a way to say, you're still all those things. I'm still right in who you are. You were still really pushing it. You're still that kind of person. And so it validated her feelings um, that, that this, even though the son had done what they had been asked to do. Um, and I don't know if that rings true for your experience of either being on the receiving end of that or the giving end of that. But her comment was one of just saying, you're still the same, still lazy, still delinquent, still the person I've judged you to be, you foolish son. Jesus says this is murder. When we do this, we are killers. His solution for this is reconciliation. Settle matters with the person taking you to court while they are in the process of taking you to court. And I think this must have been a very different day because I don't know many times where a person taking you to court and you are going there together, right? But the idea Jesus seems to get at is there's a process involved. And in that process, before you get to court, try and work this out. It's really hard. Reconciliation is easy to long for but difficult to attain. We often settle for what is easier, which again is judgment. We judge someone to be unmovable. We see them as hopeless with no way of changing and doing so. And in doing that, we become the very thing we're trying to, to say about them. We harden our hearts towards them. We become less flexible towards them. Jesus says to get rid of this quickly. And I think he does this because he knows the longer we sit with it, the harder our hearts can become. But what is reconciliation then? I want to say, first of all, it does not mean a return to the way a relationship was before the conflict or whatever it is that has caused the anger and the judgment. Often that's not even possible. Sometimes people have used verses like this to tell someone that they need to stay in an abusive relationship. Or they need to just continue to let someone hurt them and never set boundaries with other people. And that reconciliation looks like a return to an old pattern, even if that old pattern is unhealthy and super hurtful. But that's not reconciliation. Reconciliation moves a relationship to a place where all parties can experience this thing we've been calling shalom. Not just peace, but flourishing. Flourishing in a setting where things are set right. It doesn't mean a return to something that wasn't okay. But it challenges us to be helpful, even to set up boundaries at time that will allow us to move forward, will allow us to see someone having the potential to change or even us seeing them as being a good person. It allows us to not lock them in a box of our judgment. That we continually find ourselves working to validate. It allows us to move to a space where we don't give up on someone. But even in that, it doesn't mean that if they change, we're all of a sudden going to return. If they change, it might be impossible to return to the old relationship because they and we are different people. And in fact, reconciliation will often involve calling each other out on some things. We do that because we believe a person can change. We believe that a person can receive, at least hear, even if it's not something they believe they need to change, but if someone can hear it and receive it from us, and this is one of the things that's difficult for me personally about Facebook. Uh, and this is my own personal issue, so you may not experience this. But when I see someone that posts things that are continually irritating to me, things I disagree with or things that just seem to invite conflict, I have the option to just unfriend them. And I can do it without them even knowing it. 
without me having to explain, give them a chance to explain their side of things. Because entering into that conversation is harder. It's uncomfortable for me and easier just to ignore that person. And when I do that, I make a decision about them that they're not worth that effort. Now, I understand that Facebook is different than a person-to-person relationship and all that. It's just something I've noticed about myself and, and with technology and how I interact with it, that those are some of my struggles. But we may need to try to get into a space where we can say to someone, look, I actually have to engage with you about this. I can't just sit and, and kind of be a spectator. I can't just sit... I have to sit down with you. In order for us to continue to be friends, I need to make an adjustment so I can continue to see someone who I can grow and change and we can flourish together or we can flourish not so much together. Reconciliation allows all parties to experience a shalom, a letting go of hate and anger and judgment. It does not mean that everything returns to the way it was. It means the accounts, so to speak, are balanced. Things are settled. And I think in this section, Jesus go to, goes to such an extreme, so after the heart, that we can see the heart of God, that God in his wrath makes a decision to send his son, the perfect example of who God is, the exact representation of his being, to have a face-to-face conversation with the murderers and the whores and say, blessed are you. I'm on your side. Come and know my delight in you. Also in this, I think we can see that we're all guilty. We've all crossed this line. And so to move forward in life, we absolutely have to have God. We need the impacting, transforming presence of the Holy Spirit. So we, like this guy Stephen, when he's being executed in the book of Acts, here, look at this. This is in Acts 7, 54 through 60. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They've, they've brought Stephen to trial and and he's called them out on something. It says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. I don't know if you can imagine this, but imagine this number of people gathered around one person and, and there's this, you know, uh, this phrase, they're gnashing their teeth at him. It's like, Animals barking or growling, and then everyone just yelling at the top of their lungs, rushing in at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. How can Stephen get to a place where he can say something like this? How is it that in the, in the face of his executioners, he can do this? Saying, forgive them, don't hold this against them. I have hope in you, Jesus, and you, Holy Spirit, and you, God the Father, having the power to transform people. Don't hold this against them. I want them to flourish. I want them to have an opportunity. Because he's full of the Spirit of God. 
And the Spirit of God enables him to see Jesus and remember Jesus and experience the life of Jesus and in his death be like Jesus. And I'm 100% convinced that in all of our quarrels and fights, our betrayals and our failings, anywhere where reconciliation is waiting to happen, the Holy Spirit is not only already moving, but is waiting, eager for us to enter into reconciliation, empowered by him to know and follow Jesus. An example uh, that happened to me, and, and some of you have heard this story before. Um, I have a martial arts school that I run, and, and some of you know that. I started training the martial arts in uh, 1983, uh, and I jumped in quick when I started training. I was attending three to five classes a week, going a lot, uh, and I was improving quickly. Uh, when I was in college several years later at Western Washington University, um, I was still training up there, and I came home uh, in, in the summer of 1989. I was 21 years old, and I was out running an errand for my mom in Tacoma when I pulled out of an intersection where uh, I had a stop sign, but the cross street did not, uh, and, I, and I pulled right into this car, just T-boned it. Um, and I thought there were some multiple passengers in the car, and so I was concerned. I knew I was responsible, and so I got out. Uh, and, and I was shouting, like, is everyone okay? Is everyone okay? And, and out of the driver's side of the car came a middle-aged man, um, and he was approaching me, and I was, I was still trying to ask if everything's all right. Um, and, and he started saying some things, and I, and I kind of remember some of it. It was loud and lots of stuff happening. Uh, but he came up, and as he got close, he started yelling, like, what are you doing, you idiot? What's your problem? And he slapped me hard across the face. Now, two things. His reaction shouldn't surprise us. He'd just been hit out of nowhere while driving, and that can be super unsettling. Um, the second thing, though, is I began to feel myself asking similar questions of him. You just slapped me. What are you doing? You idiot. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I could do to you? Do you know what I'm going to do to you? Because he had crossed the line. I was a 21-year-old martial artist just in the prime of my youth and feeling like I had some things to prove. And I was going to dismantle this person. And I had these thoughts that I had actually seen in my mind how I was going to do it. There was a clear path in my mind from point A to point B. And at that point, I wasn't looking for any kind of reconciliation. This person's not worth it. No reason for me to care or be concerned for them at all or anyone else. I was bent. Now, some of you have heard this story before. No, there's, there's another piece to it. Uh, <clears throat> earlier in the week, I had been in a Bible study I was in, and one of the guys who was in there brought this uh, friend of his who was from Texas. Um, and I remember it because he showed up to our Bible study in a suit. Uh, and that was very unusual. Uh, but we were singing some songs uh, together, and, and right in the middle of our singing, this guy stopped us. He's like, hey, 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 and he looked straight at me, and one of those looks that's like, I do not want to hear whatever's going to come out of your mouth, uh, but it was just like looking through me, and he said, you have anger issues. I was like, I feel like I'm starting to, um, and, uh, and, and, and he followed it up by saying, you know, this weekend, you're going to be in a situation where this is going to be an issue. This is going to be a problem. And you have a choice to make. When that anger hits you, 
you're either going to explode and do something really bad, or you need to cry out to God to free you from this. And I was like, mm, I'm crying out to God right now that I could shut my eyes and open them and you would be gone. Right? That's, that's sort of where I feel like I'm at. Um, but even though I didn't want to hear that, it was really embarrassing, kind of weird, um, that seed was planted. In this moment, when I look back at it, I would love to say that I was a martial artist who was trained not only in self-defense, but also in self-control. I was also a young Christian, really a few years into my faith, and so I was in that stage where nothing seems like it'll phase me. So surely I would not be a person who would struggle with anger. Something was tapped in this moment. This guy slaps me across the face, and lots of those notions about who I was or who I thought I was were challenged, and I pretty quickly entered into a different understanding of things. I felt humiliated. This middle-aged, out-of-shape guy slapped me in public. And when I was trying to see if everyone was all right, I was trying to acknowledge that I had done something wrong, that I was responsible. And I don't know the look on my face, because I couldn't see it, but I could tell by remembering the look on his face after he had slapped me that he was receiving what I was sending. I wasn't in a state of conflict. Uh, I was going to go directly into hurting this person. They were a fool. They were good for nothing, not worth preserving or caring for. And in that same instant, like a movie flashback inside my entire person, came this conversation from the Bible study. You have anger issues. And this weekend, you're going to be in a situation where that's going to be a problem. When that happens, you have a choice. You're either going to explode or you need to cry out to God, cry out to the Holy Spirit to free you from that. And I literally fell to my knees and began to weep. Not quiet tears, but the kind of blubbering, sobbing, wailing kind of crying. And I could see by the guy's look on his face now that I was really letting loose with some strong emotions because he was like, oh, sweet fancy mustard, what have I done, right? This is not okay. Something is wrong with this person. Um, and now witnesses were coming out of shops nearby and saying, hey, I saw you hit that guy. What happened to him? Right? Look at him. He's a mess. What did you do to him? <laughs> right? Which was not my intention. That was not, I had no. And a few minutes later, police cars started showing up probably right about the time I would have been done doing whatever I had been planning on doing to this guy. Um, but I... I tell this story um, because what I was experiencing was freedom in a new way, and I was letting some stuff out. All the energy I had been directing into hurting this person was now pouring out as an act of thanksgiving and worship to God for saving me, for coming right up to me in a moment where I was a murderer. Certainly in my heart, my intent was not to kill this person, but I was going to hurt them. In a moment when I was a killer and God said, no, I'm going to bring the salt out in you. I'm going to be salt to you. I'm going to bring out the truth in you. I'm going to bring out the good in you. I delight in you. I gave you that message the other day just for this moment. I am so with you. Absolutely cannot do this 
anger thing without the presence of God in our lives. And it's going to show up sometimes in weird ways that feel weird, and other times it's going to show up in like, oh, I was reading my Bible today, and there was a passage, and boom, that was exactly what I needed. And so I kind of want to wrap up and highlight a couple of things. This passage reveals that we are all murderers. And I hope that in hearing that, you don't water that word down and try to make it a less impactful word. Hear that you and I are all full-on killers, that each of us has committed an act that Jesus calls murder. It's his word for what we do when we let anger shift to cursing and judging, when we give up on someone. And I'm pretty confident that we've all done that. Next, how do we move forward knowing that? We repent, receive the grace of Jesus that reveals and allows us to experience God's great delight for us that even when we are dead in our sin, when we are enemies to God, God sent Jesus to have a face-to-face, person-to-person talk with all people to say, this is not who you are. That Jesus was that original salt and light saying, I'm going to reveal to you who you really are and then I'm going to draw that out in you. Come and follow me and experience that and then be that in this world. That God would offer us this, this chance to flourish and experience right life and true living. That's the model for how we're to treat one another. So we move for that. We move for that reconciliation that never is returned to an old way, but it is like a resurrection, a move to new life, a new creation that may or may not have some similar things to the old way, but at the end of the day facilitates growth and movement towards God, flourishing life for all in the relationship. And that that is so difficult that I think, again, that it can only happen with the work of the Holy Spirit. But to know that the Spirit is eagerly waiting in all of those situations where we may not be following Jesus right now, but the Spirit is there moving, healing, and flourishing, and waiting for us to come into sync with Him in those relationships. Uh, I'd like to call the worship and the prayer team up. Uh, I have a couple of questions that I want to, to ask you uh, in just a moment, and uh, what we do is we give a little bit of space for you to write those answers down on that connection card. The worship team will play for just a moment uh, to give a little bit of space to do that. And again, if you would be willing to share those answers with us, you can put them in the wood boxes on your way out. It's a great way for us to know how you connected to what we were talking about this morning, how the Spirit's moving in, the, in, in, our, in our midst, um, and the things you're thinking about. So if you take a moment to do that, that would be, uh, that would be great. So... Uh, I'll read these questions, and then, uh, and, then, and then I'll pray, and then we'll move into that music. Uh, first, have you ever experienced this kind of reconciliation I've been talking about with God? Have you ever had either a moment where you realize it in the moment or something you can look back on and say, oh, yeah, I think it was in that moment that I realized that while I was distant from God, while I was an enemy for God, whatever you want to call it, God brought reconciliation God moved so that I could flourish. Have you ever experienced that? And if you haven't, please write that on your connection card. If you want information or have questions about that, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you want to pray about that, you can come up and be prayed for. Uh, It's it's a great time to start moving in that. Uh, Second, is there anyone you need to be reconciled with? Whether it's you're aware of something that someone has against you or you have against them, um, is there someone? You don't have to write on there who it is. You could just write, yep, uh, there is someone that I need to, I need to talk with. Um, and I had on my notes here, if you need to leave now to go do that, it's perfectly acceptable because uh, Jesus does say, get right to it. Um, 
And I remember up on campus when I was a core leader, we talked about one time that uh, sometimes moving on the things that Jesus says, we, we get this great idea and we're like, oh, I got to do that. And then we put it off and it never happens. So if it's welling up in you and you need to do it right away, feel free to make it happen. Um, uh, unless it's with me. And then please wait till I'm done. Uh, third, uh, if, if it is someone uh, you cannot talk to right away for whatever reason, what is one thing you can do to take a step in a direction of beginning to see them in a new way? Um, and, and that could be seeing them in a way where you haven't given up on them or seeing them in a way that who they are, uh, in, that might be different than who you want them to be, but who they are is still good. Uh, Dan Allender tells a story about um, his son who was uh, going to college, doing really well, and then right kind of towards the end of getting near to graduation, I think his last year, he said, yeah, I'm done. Because the only reason I went to college was because that was your dream for me, not my dream. Uh, what I've always wanted to do was go to welding school. Uh, and Dan Allender was like, but that's, how do you, uh, but he had nothing to say because he realized it was totally true. Uh, and that he didn't even know how to engage with his son in that moment because it was so far out of his idea for who his son could be. But now his son, at the time, this is about 10 years ago, I think, started going to welding school and is loving life. Uh, and so Dan Allender said, I learned to love who my son is, not who I thought my son should be. Um, so that might be a way that you begin to see them uh, differently too. So uh, the worship team will play in just a second. I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll continue on. Lord, uh, I confess that this passage is really, it's almost convicting beyond my ability to understand in the sense that it, it, I feel so not guilty just in a, in a sense like I feel the weight of that guilt, but I'm like, well, what's the point, right? It's, it's so hard um, to, to do this, but, but God, what I, what I hear and what I sense is you saying, but don't give up on yourself either, <laughs> right? right? I am going to draw out of you who I've made you to be. You are a wonderful person. And each one of us here is a wonderful person. And God delights in us. Loves us immensely. And so I hope we can go with that Lord. Holy Spirit, help us to move with that grace to say, yep, I don't get this right all the time, but I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep working, and I'm going to own when I don't. Um, and in doing so, I'm going to keep moving forward in that. But, but Lord, I pray we would be able to do this both with grace for ourselves and grace for each other, to see each other in new ways where we don't give up hope on people, uh, no matter how distant they may seem either from you or who we think they should be, but we would find we are hopeful for people uh, to, to flourish in you. Um, yeah, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.